Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Arthur Company's podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Erickson, and with me today is Scott Smith from CF Industries uh, over the phone. This is the first time we've recorded via via cell phone. Scott, how are you today? Great. Yourself? I'm doing great. Yeah, it's uh, it's the it's a it's a hazy day in Arthur is where I'm at, and uh, the uh, wildfires are showing their their face. How about you? Well, I'm in sunny Boca Raton, Florida, ending my vacation. So. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like ending vacation with a, a conversation on a podcast, right? That that doesn't that happen very correct. often. <laughs> cool. Well, Scott, um, tell us a little bit about where you're from and what brings you to Florida. That brings me into uh, a couple questions I have about your hobbies. So, Cool. Um, I'm from down in Hedinger, uh, North Dakota, southwest corner of the state. Um, down there, I was a uh, co-op manager for a few years uh, before making the transformation to CF Industries for the last six years, maybe going on seven, I believe. Um I'm down here in Florida, was hoping to do some uh, scuba diving training um, on advanced wreck penetration, but uh, Hurricane Elsa that turned into a tropical storm uh, has not been cooperating, so I've been pretty much just uh, feet up trying not to melt. It's a little warm down here for a North Dakota boy. <laughs> I bet it is. I bet it is. Yeah, I, I, there's there's not many scuba divers in the industry, Scott. You're one of the only ones I've ever met, or certainly at least to the extent that you scuba dive. Most guys, you know, they've put on maybe a, a suit on vacation and they've gone down 20 feet. But tell just for a second, how, how, how far have you dove and uh, what are you certified to dive? Uh, certified to dive all the way to the bottom, uh, but technically about 300 feet. Um, I do, uh, uh, my main hobby is wreck penetration diving. Um, the deepest wreck to date is 200 foot, uh, down here in Florida. Um, next year I'm working my way toward a uh, truck lagoon. Um, the operation Hailstorm from world war two. And there's a couple down there, I believe around the 250 foot range. And I hope these get to, uh, kind of a strange type of diving i do you dive you can do the wreck for about 20 minutes and then you spend about an hour and a half on uh coming up a line really slow decompressing so your body doesn't explode that that would be a good thing and i imagine you can go as deep as you want you just might not come back up right (laughs) that is uh that is the thing we do when people ask how deep you can go you can go all the way to the bottom you might not come back (laughs) cool Cool. Well, we uh, we didn't call you to talk all about scuba diving. We called you to talk a little bit through the, the nitrogen market specifically, the fertilizer market. Um, CF Industries, the company that you work for, Scott, um, one of the largest nitrogen producers in North America. Yes, we are the largest and probably technically um, the largest in the world. It, it depends on how you look at, you know, um, when you talk about Chinese and Russian being state owned versus right. privately owned. Yep. So yes, we are the largest definitely in North America. You, you are the largest and you've got production facilities most locally for us in, in Port Neal, Iowa, as well as uh, one that matters to us in Medicine Hat, Saskatchewan. That's where, uh, where the Velva ammonia terminal is, is filled. And then also one that will come up in conversation here down in Donaldsonville, Louisiana. Tell us a little bit about how old those plants are and maybe just a, a ballpark their capacity for me. Um, I'm trying to think which 
Our oldest plants would probably be uh, like our Woodward ammonium nitrate plant. Um, they're they're pretty old. Uh, CF originally was a co-op way back in the day before um, she privatized and went to Wall Street. Um, so some of these plants have been around since, like you go back to the old, I'm trying to think of some of the names of all those old co-ops, but it was originally formed by seven. Anyway, um, when you look at a, a production daily basis, um, Port Neal itself on the urea side cranks out about 1.4 million tons a year. To give you an idea of what that means to us in the north, um, I handle the three states of um, Minnesota, North Dakota, and South Dakota. And those three states alone use 2.2 million tons of urea. So if Port Neal was just to dump all its tons into those three states, we'd still need to import about another 800,000 tons into those states. Um, Deville by far is the big beast. Um, She has deep water ports. We load vessels to go to Central America, uh, Mexico. Um, We also have, we fulfill a lot of barge agreements from Donaldsonville that come up the rivers um, to different ports, um, which then are sometimes loaded on rail by, you know, your traders and shipped up. So at the end of the day, a lot of CF tons do make their way north. Yeah, no, they do. Yeah. And then, of course, Medicine Hat. We, we used to see a lot more urea in the state of North Dakota from Medicine Hat. That's becoming less and less here since uh, Port Neal was built, which the first spring that Port Neal was, was active was 2017, correct? Let's see what you have trying to figure out what year we're in right now, 21. That sounds about correct. Yep. Yeah, it's been about five years since not only not only Port Neal, but also a number of your competitors increased urea production in the lower 48. So it's uh it's it's changed uh it's changed a lot. Um and now actually and you've lived through this, Scott. I mean, been through a few years where really supply hasn't been an issue. There's been some serious, uh, you know, logistics issues in the last five years, but now here we're, we're getting to a a point here this summer where supply is really pretty tight on the nitrogen side of things. So it's, it's new, at least short term. It's new, right? It it, it really is. It's it's amazing. The, the amount of production capacity we've put on in the U S. But at the end of the day, we still need to attract the imports. And that's probably been our biggest headache over the last couple of years because with the U.S. trading significantly below the world market uh, for a majority of the year, we end up with a volatility of spikes. And that, that's also been a factor of, uh, you know, more of buying when you need it versus buying six and eight months ahead of time. Right. So it's, it's become a challenging marketplace by, for sure. Yeah. So tell us a little bit, give us uh, your synopsis here of this last spring. What, what has got us to this point in regards to nitrogen supply? And maybe we'll, we'll, we'll focus primarily on urea. Urea is the one that uh, really transports the easiest of the three uh, primary nitrogen sources being ammonia, urea, and UAN that we're going to talk about today. So urea, what got us to this point of relatively low supplies from your perspective? This year had a lot of challenges, and a lot of them literally came out of the dark that nobody could foresee and tell that they were going to happen, and they just kept snowballing the industry, whether it's urea, UAN, or ammonia. 
Um, so if, if you go back to last summer, um, you're talking about NOLA trading low 200s. Um, I think it might have even dipped into the 190s for a while. And there was no real, nothing on the horizon that said, uh, you know, U.S. NOLA urea is going to go through the roof. Um, in fact, uh, we put out, uh, you can see them on our website, we put out every quarter, I believe, updates to the investor community on how we see nitrogen and gas and all the combinations. And I think we had, at that time, we had predicted uh, no higher than a 250 NOLA barge for the next 12 months. Yep. And then uh, we started moving down the road, um, and the barge market was kind of holding there. And then we got to about the November time frame, and we saw a huge influx of dollars and cents into um, the farm farmers' hands from you know, whether it was called Trump money or good crops, it was just a, a huge surplus that needed to get spent. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, whether it matters, you know, what side of the, the political lines you're on, we've seen a change of um, from Republican to Democrat. And, and that caused a little bit of a ripple um, through everybody, you know, whether it was how they wanted to view going into the fall. Right. Um, the big one was probably a lot on the world trade and buying and, and it could be, you can even start to talk into what it did for China stepping in and buying grain. And I don't think right. anybody foresaw how China really depleted their food and grain sources during the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we walked through that time frame, and that really started um, the barge market ramping up because, one, we were behind, um, which I had mentioned earlier, and the buying was so big that it just caused that deficit even more. Right. So then we stepped through January, February. Um, everything's kind of stable and happy, but the buying never stopped. It just kept coming and coming, whether it was the CF, the Coke, anybody. It didn't matter. It was coming. Right. Fast forward to March. And we get whacked with a polar vortex. Um, And that crippled, whether you were in the petroleum business or fertilizer business or really any industrial business in the South, that literally crippled a lot of us. Um, Some people were forced, depending on how big of a producer or what kind of financial status you were in, some people were paying $1,200 for gas. Right. Um, some chose to sell their gas back to try to help uh, the communities and also profit. I mean, that's the bottom line at the end of the day. And some of us chose to ramp our production backwards to what we just had pre-bought in gas and try to avoid buying high price gas. Right. And And, it it shut down some plants too. Um, there's, there's a fair amount of production in that belt that wasn't only, uh, affected by the natural gas price and the natural gas supply, but also they just flat out lost production because they froze up. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, uh, you know, a lot of the challenges, we were one of the ones that ran back, but, uh, when you ran back, obviously it changes how that plant wants to function. It, sure it, it, it isn't really a beast. Yeah. And they end up tripping themselves just because they can't function at the lower levels, which is just bad enough. 
So then you have to get rid of the gas that you have bought. So um, I don't, I, I know there's somewhere somebody has a number with how many plants are shut down. I doubt you'll ever get everybody to communicate. But at the end of the day, I can tell you from what I personally see internally, um, I think to this day we are still very surprised at how much we lost. We had yeah. no idea we lost as much as we lost. Yeah. And that's that's something that makes our industry on the fertilizer side of things that does business hand-in-hand hand with our grain trading industry in a lot of ways. It, it makes us so much different because even though we kind of have to make fun of the WASD reports for not being all that accurate on the grain side of things, there is some level of uh, transparency to food stocks, whereas fertilizer – there really isn't. Um, there's there's a whole lot of guessing going on. You're trying to guess all your competitors. All of all of us retailers are asking you guys where you at on supply and you know and how's your plant running and all of those questions are, you know, very well. It's proprietary information, quite honestly, right? Yep, yep, very much so. So spring of 2020 uh, in your market, Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, uh, usage high, low, in the middle. Where, where'd you end up? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, from a CF perspective, uh, we were on par with the exact, you know, the last couple of years with where we ended up. Um, I, at the end of the day, I'd probably say we ended up um, a little bit behind the last couple of years. Sure. Um, that was not a factor of me not selling. That was more of a factor of we go backwards to just about 20 seconds ago in our conversation right. with, you know, Port Neal was one of the plants we curved back because it was on that network of um, feeding the southern people's homes with energy. Right. And when we turned her back, she did not like being turned back, so she would stumble and trip a couple of times. Yeah. So the, the, the demand bulge that started to show itself last November, December, January, it, it, it never did stop. But the, the current supply crunch that we're sitting on right now in nitrogen was a culmination of all those events. It wasn't necessarily a huge spring that did it. Spring was good, and I would say the same here. But it wasn't necessarily that that, that took all, all of our supply down to nothing. Yeah. You're absolutely correct. And and it it just even to this day it still keeps going forward and snowballing because now here we are in summer and you have to go backwards in time to one year when we were in COVID lockdowns and stuff and whether you're a U.S. producer or a worldwide producer um, you weren't allowed to do routine maintenance on your plants just because for safety of employees you weren't allowed to have crews on site sure doing work yep. so now all that work has to be caught up yeah and that's that's a common theme in the uh in the market this summer is there's a fair lot a fair amount of turnarounds going on not only at your plants but your competition's plants and every one of them um they take out a planned amount of nitrogen out of the market because obviously when you don't have the green button turned on you're not making nitrogen but also turning these things back on is not just like uh, pressing the start button on your car yeah. Yep. You're exactly right. Yeah. They can be tricky. So now going forward, and Scott, I'll I'll share you I'll share with you our affordable affordability index uh, that we call the bushel balance, and we've talked about it on uh, on this podcast before. And it's really just a an equation that calculates how many bushels of corn it takes to buy the fertilizer 
um, to produce an acre of basically North Dakota corn. And then there's, you know, there's use rates that are tied into this, but it's been the same for us for, for many years. We've been calculating this for many years. So we understand that the rates can change a bit, but we basically just take the price of new crop corn divided by the current fertilizer prices that you would, you would be buying. And right now it is, uh, it's fairly high. So our average over the last couple of years has been about 22 bushels of corn to buy the fertilizer for that acre of corn. And right now it's sitting up at uh, 27 bushels of corn. So it's coming across and we're seeing this in farmers that we're talking to. The current pricing is coming across as, as too high for their, um, their, their, you know, appetites here at, at this point. Um, so that's, that's kind of where we're sitting here today, but that doesn't make you nitrogens just ma- magically show up. We're still, uh, we're, the supply channel is still fairly tight. What's going to change that supply in the next three, four, five, six months, Scott, from your perspective, or what could possibly change that supply? Uh, honestly, in the next three to we'll just call it, what are we in July right now? Yep. In the, in the next six months of December, really the only thing that can change that supply to swing anything is more supply. And the odds of that happening are very slim, you know, whether it's my opinion or others, if they're giving you the honesty, um, cause we either have to import it and we have to import it by October to influence us in the North, um, or we have to produce it. And with the plant turnarounds and everything, that's lost production. So you take the lost production, we're not an attractive import, and that just keeps our deficit hole getting lower. Um, whether an acre of corn disappears and because of the soybean acre, we're still short and going to probably really run short all the way up into spring of next year and probably through spring of next year if you're talking urea and you know CS perspective. Sure. Yeah. Well, and certainly next year, the 2022 corn acre is going to matter uh, in regards to demand, right? Um, yep. And, and, and supply, here's the, the goofy thing that we alluded to earlier in the podcast is that NOLA, New Orleans urea is what we really trade off of. It really isn't a ticker for those of us in the fertilizer industry, but there's barges that trade in New Orleans on a semi-daily basis, I would call it, not daily, but most days, right? Um, yep. And uh, and that market kind of establishes our urea market. Well, New Orleans is trading today. It's trading, I believe, fifty bucks under the global price of urea. So, uh, what Scott is saying, we need to we need to invite imports in order to increase our supply to drive down the price of urea. And right now, uh, we are we are bidding on urea at a value fifty dollars a ton under what South America is bidding for urea right now and what India is bidding for either Middle Eastern or Chinese urea right now. So that metric right now is, I guess it's concerning to me in regards to filling this, this demand for next spring. What would change that Scott? Um, short term, honestly, really right now there's very little to change it. Um, Cause there's one wild card in that factor that I haven't mentioned yet this call is that a year ago, your European and Asian producers were probably paying $3 for gas. I mean, it was as cheap as the U.S. Um, and now they're back to the 10 to $12 rate um, and looking really bad for them moving toward the year and toward their winter months. Sure. So, so obviously, at those rates, um, they need these higher levels. Um, 
no different than us. They're behind. Uh, you take like a country like India and their buying habits. I think to date right now, India is probably somewhere upwards of a million tons short of urea needs. Sure. Um, they're going to retender here soon. Uh, they're going to need a lot of tons. And odds are they won't get the offers from the world because there are no offers from the world. Um, or very limited, I should say. There, There's offers, but they're very limited. Um, so as long as India is willing to pay the higher dollars in the U.S., you know, if you're a Chinese producer or um, Arab Gulf, um, let's face it, everybody's in this to make a dollar. You're going to go to India before you come to the U.S. Um, the U.S. will still have its contracted vessels that come here every month no matter what, but that number has been reduced over the last how many years because of this world market, um, it's better to sell on a spot basis. Um, I think they're down to about two a month now that just come to the U S so that's only yeah, roughly maybe 80,000 tons that's coming to the U S on a guarantee per month. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. We need more and we need to attract more in order to, to fill our demand here for next spring. So, yep. 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 It's going to be a bumpy, it's going to be a bumpy winter and it, it's scary. I mean, let's face it. You and I've been doing this job a long time. I, I was in retail and talking with farmers and everything. And um, four hundred dollar or five hundred dollar urea is not a fun thing to talk about. But at the end of the day, that, that it is what it is, and all the signs and everything can point to why it's at that level. And um, sometimes it gets disconnected. Sometimes even every product, UAN, urea, and ammonia get disconnected from each other in the markets. Yeah. Well, and the fact of the matter is if, if corn for 2022, if, if we rally um, about a buck in the next few months, all of a sudden that bushel balance, that affordability of the product is all of a sudden in line with the, with the, with the mean over the last few years. So yeah, urea 500 plus dollar urea is uh it's expensive. I can't say that it's. I can't say that it's not. But if if you can sell your corn crop for five plus dollars, um, it comes into line a whole lot better. So with this inverse in the corn crop is certainly causing it to look, oh, you know, uh, pretty affordable. I would say in the I states where they're still trying to push for bushels for this year. Where here we are in North Dakota, where our, basically the size of our crop is in question. And I would say theirs is too. We're just getting into pollination here, and we could get into that here today about what we think the corn crop is going to actually yield, and that's going to affect this. But for those of us in North Dakota, we've lost some of our, our yield, bush, yield potential already. We've got hot pollination weeks in front of us. Um, there's, there's, not a, there's not a pile of optimism regarding the current crop, and that's certainly affecting our thoughts of what we, what we think next year's fertilizer is going to be worth. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what uh, what comes of the corn market as well. So, indeed, fun times ahead. <laughs> yeah, Scott, what can you tell us a, at least a little bit about uh, green and blue ammonia? Um, your company has at least started production out of Donaldsonville, Louisiana, um, and it's it's an intriguing topic. I don't think it's one that's going to hit our our farmers, our North Dakota farmers, um, real soon, but probably sooner than we all think. So give us, if you would, just a, a couple of comments on that. Oh, uh, you, you know, it, it goes back to um, politics and what people want um, and what we should be doing right as uh, citizens of this world. 
Um, so blue and green ammonia, very different. Uh, I by no means am an expert. I've uh, talked to some of the people at CF that have, uh, are working in these departments. We do have a separate uh, division or department now for that. Um, and it probably, looking ahead and at the world today, it, it probably is going to be more the future. Um, you know, the world wants their food um, and factories and everything running green and being environmentally conscious. And um, by switching to a blue ammonia or a green ammonia, um, it, it helps with the carbon that's released and everything. So um, blue, I, I believe, I'm not the scientist portion of the guy, but it will be able to be produced with the natural gas and uh, capturing the carbon um, for other use, or I think there's a way to put it back into the ground um, that's safe for the environment. Uh, green is more of the renewable energies, um, using the renewable energies to produce it. Um, there's a lot to come of this. Um, you know, countries, the world, uh, they want their foods uh, produced a certain way. And, uh, you know, whether we like it or not, and we all try to do the right thing, I believe, in agriculture every day. Um, sometimes you have to give the cons end consumer what they want. And, uh, you know, there's costs involved and everything. So it's, it's going to be some really challenging times. Uh, we do have a green ammonia project. I believe it's approved. Um with a three to five year timeline. Uh, like I said, I'm not in that department, but that'll be down at Donaldsonville, Louisiana. Um, and I know all of the other plants are pretty much, you know, we're waiting for the world to decide and say, this is the way we want to go. And then uh, of course, CF, you know, we our our motto at CF is do it right. Um, we run the lowest safety standards in the industry. Um, so we always try to do things the right way and, that would be one of them, you know, producing sure. fertilizer. That's what the world wants in a safe and uh, economical way. Well, and, and if I'm to start with, it is going to be far more of an energy play, which is going to be new for us um, in the fertilizer business that our fertilizer manufacturers are going to be as much into the energy business as they are into the uh, fertilizer business. So um, yep. for those of you listening, don't, don't expect to be, uh, have a, have a green ammonia price or uh, opportunity to buy here in the near term uh, from the Arthur companies, but we're going to be, we're going to be hearing about this. Uh, it's going to, it's going to somewhat affect production, although I would say at a very small level here to start with, wouldn't you say, Scott, we're not, we're not talking about taking agriculture ammonia, gray ammonia, as they're now calling it out of the, out of the market. Uh, as of right now, we're just, we're just making a, making a yeah. carbon friendly ammonia on the side, right? Right, right now it's more of uh um, keep following it in the news um, because you're going to want to be on the front side rather than the back side. Um, I, I think today there was something announced about uh, some marine um, engines for boats and vessels by 2023. Um, they'll be able to have them running on hydrogen. Um, so now that's where it gets tricky and really interesting. And if, if you're into scientific uh, kind of stuff, I don't want to say geek stuff because I, uh, to me it's intriguing, but like ammonia carries the most molecules of hydrogen. That's where uh, ammonia becomes an energy or so to speak and carrying what the ships and stuff will need. So it'll be really interesting one day. Uh, I mean, we're, we're 
traveling through some unique times with electric vehicles and who knows, maybe one day we'll see hydrogen ammonia vehicles. You never know. Right. Yep. <laughs> it could happen. So Scott, do you have, uh, I think we're, we're probably wrapped up here for today. We'll have you on again today sometime. I certainly appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. So any, uh, any final comments for our listeners? No, I guess uh, my advice, um, just through my uh, years of uh, agricultural service and transversing through the nitrogen markets with CF now would be, uh, you know, to your listeners is uh, hit more base hits than home runs. Um, stay on top of stay on top of everything because it's it's very fast moving. You know, twenty years ago, I would have told you, you know, in the future, our jobs are going to be so easy and it's going to be so much more predictable and I'd say it's even worse now. So, uh, right. you know, keep talking to your agronomists out there and, and you know, your retailers at, at the Arthur companies because it's a, it's a day-to-day. And uh, if you miss a day, that might have been your opportunity to jump in and uh, lower that uh, bushel per acre um, number that you had mentioned. Yeah, yep. No, nope, that's right. appreciate it. So. Thanks, Scott. You uh, enjoy enjoy diving. Stay off the bottom of the ocean. We'll uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Sound good? Sounds good. Be safe out there, everybody. Yep. You too. Thanks, Scott. Yep. Bye.